Welcome to the Edible Alpha podcast series, your source for actionable insights for making money in food. The Edible Alpha podcast is hosted by the Food Finance Institute, where our mission is to help food businesses raise the money they need to grow. Through our podcast, FFI staff talks to a wide range of stakeholders about what it really takes to grow a financially viable food or farm business. Welcome, everybody. I'm Brad Rostowski of Food Finance Institute. I am the fellow's Program Food Fellows Program uh, Manager, uh, which is our business accelerator uh, for everything food and beverage, value-added agriculture, and uh, we're adding a, a third cohort of, of producers and, and or technology. So anybody looking to expand their manufacturing capability and or have new technologies for food and beverage, um, that program will be launching actually as I think this week. Uh, it's actually going to be announced. So anyways, um, welcome everybody. We're going to be talking with Michelle Godish with uh, Better Ben today. So why don't I do this? I'll just turn over to Michelle and why don't you introduce yourself? Yes. Thanks, Brad. I'm Michelle Gage and I am the founder and CEO of Better Ben. And yeah, really excited to be talking about just my experience with the FabCap Accelerator and our startup in general. So Michelle, um, why don't you do, a, you know, I, I mentioned uh, our accelerator having a technology platform, uh, cohort coming up. And the reality is in the past, we've done this with uh, the, our accelerator program was a food and beverage uh, program. I always picked up companies. I've, I have an engineering background, so I've always picked up companies and technology that I think actually helps enhance and, and, and advance uh, the food and beverage uh, industry. Um your platform is is an app, um, and there's a lot of power that goes behind it, and everything that goes into it. So, why don't you explain to the audience a little bit about Better Ben, um, and and so your your uh, I'm going to say your path to, to bring in Better Ben to market, just on a macro scale. Sure. Yep. I can give you some uh, info about Better Ben and how we got here. So. Better Ben, uh, what do we do? We are really at our core a data company, and we are using data in, in some really cool ways to empower consumers, but also brands, which is really how we CPG brands, which is really how we fit into the FabCap Accelerator program um, to solve uh, the recycling crisis, to solve the way that consumers are dealing with CPG packaging at its end of life. So uh, in Europe, there is a lot of what's called extended producer responsibility, EPR legislation that really drives how brands educate and or educate consumers and or manage how their packaging waste is handled at its end of life um, because it's expensive and uh, no one really wants to pay for waste or how to handle it, manage it. And here in the United States, uh, it's a little different. We are just starting to head towards EPR legislation. Um, and so it's really complex in terms of how consumers learn or know how to properly pro properly handle their packaging waste at its end of life. So uh, when you're done with a product, you know, in a Chicago suburb or on University of Wisconsin um campus or out in LA or in a Airbnb in Austin, you know, the guidelines for how you're supposed to be recycling or composting that are varied. They're different from one community to the next one 
one city to the next, one county to the next, one state to the next. Um, so it's really hard for consumers but to, to know what to do. It's also really hard for brands to properly educate consumers. Um, as a brand, you can't have 10 different labels on a product to explain based on where you live, what you're supposed to do with packaging. So it's just, it's really complex here in the U.S. in terms of how we're we're handling this packaging waste, how we're educating consumers. And so um, about three years ago, I just as a very passionate consumer, just passionate about a lot of things, environmental responsibility. I, I'm just thinking, you know, you can ask Siri or Alexa for really anything. You can Google anything and get answers. Why is it so hard for me uh, to know how to recycle right in my community? I have a master's degree. I care a lot about properly managing my, my waste. And why is this so difficult? And I just thought, you know, th there has to be a way to use data to solve this problem. And, and that's really what we're doing because CPG brands and man uh, pa packaging manufacturers, you know, all of their products are digitally managed in a, in a pretty, you know, finite, simple way, right? Like there's product images, there's product names, there's product attributes like weight and volume and the ingredients. And all of the brands store this data, you know, in different places, different vendors, sometimes internal, sometimes external. But there's really, you know, nothing stopping us from using that data and that infrastructure of data that already exists to better educate people about how to handle the CBG packaging waste at its end of life. And so that's really... That's really our goal. Our product uh, currently, our first product is a consumer facing app. And so we have some really cool machine learning technology that allows you to scan the UPC barcode of a product or take a picture of a product or text search for a product, you know, brand specific. It could be, it could be Kellogg's cornflakes, um, Kellogg's Pop-Tarts. It could be Lara bars, apple pie bars, Betty Cracker, rainbow trip. This is what I have on my desk right now, <laughs> frosting. Um, <laughs> And yeah, we have no relationships with these brands. These are just <laughs> products, products sitting on my desk right now. Um, but yeah, so you scan the product. We're able to use our proprietary machine learning technology to see a photo of that product or understand product attributes, like the name of the product and determine what packaging type it is. So you can imagine there's papers or fibers, metals, plastics, and then, you know, multi-material containers. And then within each of those categories, there's multiple different types of metals, plastics, fibers, et cetera. And so we're able to really determine um, what those packaging materials are. We cross-reference that data with local recycling guidelines, which is something um, that's really new as well that no one really out there is doing. And that's a mapping, you know, based on where you live, who's hauling your materials, and then who therefore is ending up processing your materials. So we, we cross-reference the the local guideline data point with what packaging material it is, and we're able to spit out local recycling and or composting instructions. And then we reward users with points for gift cards. And so, um, you know, really that's been our, our, our start. And, you know, we're just, we're so excited about how we're going to be using a lot of this data in other ways uh, as well for, for different products. But I'll, I've talked a lot, so I'll stop there and give you a second to ask another question, Brad. Yeah, that's great. No, it is. I say, I, I know when I uh, first uh, found out about Better Bin, I was like, well, this is great. I mean, because I, I grew up in the, uh, the food and beverage world and, uh, you know, with, with Oscar Mayer, Sargento, Palermo's Pizza and, you know, various different types of packaging. And at that, back in those days, um, while everybody was trying to do recycling and whatnot, it just, uh, um, it didn't have the same energy as it does today. 
I mean, and, 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 and really the need, I mean, landfills and whatnot. I mean, it's just uh, the, the amount of, the amount of food and the packaging that gets into a landfill is just sort of just too bad. Um, and so there, there was a big need for this. So I always thought, wow, what a, what a great, uh, what a great idea. All right. So then the question is, is, you know, so now you, you, you've, you've described a little bit of how, you know, sort of what you, what drives you and, and, the, and your product platform. Let's talk about your journey to market. Um, so why don't you talk a little bit about, you know, okay, so you got this idea and then you got to, you have to create a, you have to create the idea and you did, you know, get team and the machine learning that you talk about. Just give a little background about the, the I'm going to say the first, uh, the first couple of, you know, probably the year or two of, uh, from light on to, you know, okay, we've got a beta that we're going to be testing. Yeah, great question, because there certainly is a lot that happens in between then and now, for sure. Mm -hmm. So, uh, right, back in 2018, it, this was nothing but an idea in my head and a pain point that I had as a consumer. I went to our county solid waste director. I had no background in the material recovery industry. And I just started asking questions. Is this a problem? Problem? Why is it a problem? You know, what is the problem What we're dealing with here? What's the scale? And uh, I, I just learned that the problem was so massive that there was really uh, multiple pain points from multiple stakeholders that needed to be addressed. And thankfully, I spent a better part of my professional career writing uh, research grants for faculty members and bringing them research funding onto campus to, to bring their big ideas to life and wrote a grant for my own idea. And that was through the uh, UW University of Wisconsin Systems Idea Advance uh, Lean Startup Program. And so, so I really went through sort of the lean startup process, which was like idea. And then they forced us to go out and interview, you know, 200 different stakeholders in the community, consumers. So we just did a lot of initial learning and uh, use some of that money to put together a really early iteration of our app. You know, I, I do not have a technology background either. So, you know, at that point, I was just sort of, uh, you know, sort of guessing in ways what this app would actually look like. I think about a year and a half into it, I found a really amazing data scientist, Ian, who uh, is our CTO and data scientist now. And he sort of took his professional background as a trained uh, PhD data scientist into thinking about this problem that we're trying to solve. Uh, so he's really the magic behind the machine learning models that we're using uh, along the way, you know, picked up a, an internal a developer, a software developer who, you know, has really built the most current iteration of our app. Um, but, you know, commercially speaking, how we went to market, you know, it was all about first talking to local stakeholders in the material recovery industry, um, county uh, solid waste directors, MRF operators, sorry, MRF is a material recovery facility. So where recycling gets processed, um, composting processors uh, and municipalities and just trying to understand, you know, what is the pain point? How are we trying to get you know, people to recycle, right? How does that impact, you know, the financial bottom line for all these different stakeholders? And so they um, put in, they all kind of chipped in some money, a number of central Wisconsin communities to uh, fund some pilots. And uh, we had about uh, five or six pilots going on uh, really across the country. Uh, and then COVID hit and that sort of, you know, paused some of those pilot work. But honestly, sometimes I feel COVID was a bit of a blessing for us because 
it gave us a moment to pause when things were moving so fast um, to really think about what this product was, what our goals were. Um, and, and fortunately for us, that was the time we were accepted into the plug and play Silicon Valley sustainability accelerator. And, you know, it, it re- that put us, uh, you know, alongside very, you know, amazing business mentors, investors, um, support mechanisms, put us in front of CPG brands to go talk and learn about pain points and um, just was such an amazing experience. And so, you know, we did that all during COVID. And now to this day, I think we have about 2,500 users on our app that have searched or scanned for about 15,000 products or uh, materials to find out if they're acceptable in their recycle or compost program and uh, have some really exciting discussions going on about w- with some brands um, and and municipalities and even larger scaled system players to figure out how we can scale this uh, in a way that now has really become a solution due to changes in state policies around what brands are going to be allowed to put on their packaging in terms of recyclability uh, claims. So, um, so yeah, it's really now becoming a, our product is now becoming more driven by state policy decision, national policy decisions around how we're going to be educating consumers about how to properly recycle materials. Well, that's interesting. So, you know, I know when we first met, you know, there was a, one of the things that we talked about is a little bit about your business, you know, I'm going to say your business model, because you were doing a lot of work with municipalities and such. Um, and, you know, you had the idea of the app, but you also had this recycle, you also had the municipality work um, and and trying to, you know, determine, you know, what where you were going to place your focus and whatnot. Um, and so, you know, why don't, why don't you spend a little more time talking about a little bit so you know you, you, you it was a great a great uh, summary of, of sort of how you got to sort of the current state in a way but I, I, was, I want a little bit more uh, maybe a little more color around sort of the business model you know transitions that you've been working on and also sort of you know maybe now you know where it's where it's sort of trending and or what are the key drivers that you see happening that are going to drive it Sure. Yeah, absolutely. So I think our um, testing and iterating within our within some possible business models really comes back to the question of who is going to pay to manage solid waste in particularly in the United States, just because that's where we're based. Um, you know, once you're done with a product, the consumer is left with packaging. And, you know, whose responsibility is it to pay to manage it? Is the consumer in charge? Is it the community that's in charge for paying for their own recycling programs? Um, is the hauler, you know, should they be involved? Should they be required to be involved in educating consumers? Should the processing facilities that sell some of those commodities once they come to the recycling facilities, should they be the ones responsible for educating the public. Um, And then there's packaging manufacturers. Should they be involved? Should brands who actually create the products, should they be, you know, in charge of of paying for educating consumers and dealing with this packaging? And so there's really a lot of stakeholders Mm -hmm. involved in our problem. And that's good and bad for a business. (laughs) It means you're solving a lot of people's problems, but since everyone has the problem, you know, who really has the biggest, you know, financial pain point? Who who really needs our solution? 
Um, and so, so honestly, we've been constantly learning from the beginning about, you know, who's going to be paying to educate consumers. And so we did begin, you know, working directly with county solid waste jurisdictions or municipalities. They would pay for an annual subscription to the app and then all of their constituents, their residents would pay, I'm sorry, would get access to the app for free. Um, but, you know, municipalities have small, small budgets, especially very small when it comes to recycling or solid waste management education. And um, anyone who's worked selling to municipalities, but it's a it's a long sales cycle. You know, it takes a lot of committee meetings, a lot of decision making, a lot of time before something can actually be sold and implemented. And so, you know, trying to think of how we could scale, you know, geographically, you know, getting more app users, more communities involved, you know, really forced us to think about other B2B to C business models. And so, you know, we we're testing and we're thinking about other models where, you know, we're selling to property managers who run, you know, apartment complex, multi-residential apartment complex or condos all across the country, um, recycling and multi-residential buildings is a very, very big pain point. Uh, we've talked about in our testing, you know, selling directly to people like Airbnbs. When you go on vacation, you have no idea how to, you know, just properly recycle or compost. You know, it's it's all B two B to C. It's all better than selling an annual subscription to a business stakeholder and then their C residents, consumers, guests getting access to the app for free. You know, along the way, we've always been talking to brands and thinking. You know, brands, what are your pain points around disposal and packaging education? And, you know, now our conversations have really coalesced around what I said before, which is different state policies that are eventually going to regulate what brands are going to be allowed to say on their packaging in terms of recyclability. And, um, and also just EPR legislation, thinking about how much is it the brand's responsibility to, to educate and or even manage, physically manage waste at its end of life? And so, um, you know, at, at the same time, we have an app where we're really the only platform that knows the very moment a consumer is done with a the product. They come to us because they need to know how to recycle it or or compost it. And so we really have this platform to give brands an opportunity you know, to say and do really to say so much to their consumers, you know, there's so much retargeting that you could be doing. There's so much you could be saying about your sustainability stories and so much about your ESG, which are environmental, social and governance, you know, indicators and metrics, all the work you've been doing as a company, as a brand to, to be better for people, the planet and for your bottom line. Um, you know, we just offer a really great space to do that. And, you know, so again, so then we're thinking about, you know, working with local sponsors, working with brands who want to um, be involved in the app and have their products in the app. And uh, again, you know, it's as much as I would love to think that really sustainability messaging and sort of brand loyalty are a big part of what's going to grow our app. I really think that's actually more in the long term. And I think what's more in the short term in terms of our business model and working with brands um, really lies in what just happened in the summer. Maine became the first U.S. state to pass EPR legislation. And California is going to be very, very uh, shortly behind here and passing some very new stringent laws around what a brand can put on their packaging as a recycling or composting claim. And we have technology that can really mitigate a lot of problems for brands um, 
to be able to still talk to consumers about how to properly manage their packaging waste. And so, again, as much as I would love to think that it is people, profit, planet, bottom line that's driving, you know, why brands would want to be involved with us, I honestly think it's going to come down to, you know, brands need to be able to sell their products everywhere. And if you're going to be able to do that and you want to have recyclability claims on your packaging, you're going to need a new solution because you're not going to be able to have a label that says it's recyclable, it's not recyclable, it's partially recyclable based on if you're in Pennsylvania, Texas, or California. You know, CPG brands just can't work like that. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, we're really excited to be part part of that solution. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> yeah, I know you and I have talked recently about that topic, and I think it's uh, it's pretty interesting. Um, you know, I've always, I've, grew, I've grown up with sort of a brand sort of uh, um, evangelist, you know, uh, engineer turned marketer. Um, but, uh, you know, it's, it's a type of thing where the brand is the only thing that really counts. And so how, you know, and then, you know, as, as, as your product line came, as your, as, as recycling became an issue in brand in the brand world, it was, it hasn't been all as, as big, but as you said, their pressure points are occurring, um, you know, in the, in the, in the sense of regulatory requirements. Um, let me, let me, uh, pivot on that a little bit and say, so, you know, what, as you, as you've gone to that point, and I know you're, you're, you're navigating it as we speak. All right. One thing I, I, I think about in branding, you know, and then what you, what, what you brought, when every time I've talked to you, I have the same feeling, you've got a passion for this. Okay. Um, and you're actually a resident expert in this, um, you know, through the, you know, the, the, not only the passion, but all the interviewing that you've done, um, have you have you considered that that sort of consultative piece of it is be part of 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 your brand of of, of better bin and then really your brand messaging? Yeah, absolutely. And in fact, that sort of part of the business is really coming to an interesting point uh, on the composting side of things because you know, sort of um, compostability labeling in in terms of packaging materials like utensils and and food service wares that are or are not able to biodegrade in compost systems, um, you know, it's really becoming newer and more popular in the United States. And so while I came in way too late in the game to help with recyclability labeling on packaging, um, I feel like I'm me and my team are right in the thick of it in terms of what's going to happen with the compostables industry and how are they going to be labeling their products um, for compostability when food scraps and organics recycling in this country in the United States are just, they're just going to increase and increase and grow in popularity in the next couple of years. It's going to be, it's a huge, huge way to decrease um, organics materials going to landfills, which is a a huge create generator of uh, methane emissions that we could decrease Mm -hmm. very quickly just by really ramping up our efforts to, to divert organics from landfills. And so, um, I've been having some conversations with uh, industry sort of compostability certifiers, the processors themselves, and knowing what we know from how consumers interact with the compost side of our app and the questions they have and the contamination issues that the composters have, we're sort of, we're, we're proposing um, a very, you know, nationally scaled project to really streamline consumer education when it comes to compostable biodegradable products. And so Mm -hmm. I just think it speaks to the kind of your question where 
we've sort of become experts because we've seen all this data come in around the questions consumers have. We have touch points with all the stakeholders in the value chain, everyone from the certifiers of biodegradable products to the actual people hauling them, to the people processing them, to the actual packaging manufacturers. And so when you put us in the middle there, you know, we kind of get a vantage point that no one else has. And so we are really excited to be able to potentially solve and mitigate some really important consumer mm-hmm. education issues um, before they arise on the composting side of things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the reason I bring that, I mean, and, and then, not just because you and I talked about it, but one of the arcs that I've seen in, in you know, running this accelerated program for the last five, six years is, you know, food and beverage brands are one thing and there's a certain ebb and flow and going to market. I mean, e-commerce might have changed that a bit, but the reality is, is, you know, there's still a lot of the similar brand awareness building things. Um, the technology side of the world and, you know, apps and you know, the, the areas that you're playing in, I mean, you're, you're not necessarily a straight on technology, but you're playing, you're, you're in all those different edges and you do have a technology platform you bring to the table. Um, it's just a different, you know, it's hard to get market adoption. All right. Um, and so, you know, I, I, I think you bring up a very, your, your, your case study of, of what you're doing with your business is that, you know, if you start thinking through, I'll have to, I'm going to have to, it reminds me to start thinking through this a little bit as we go forward um, on technologies is that how do you best, you know, build awareness? And it's not, it's not the same as a CPG brand, you know, it is more on the consultative side of the world and, you know, and being a solution provider, um, you know, and more as, like I say, as a consultant in a very difficult space. So I think uh, what you're doing with your brand is, is really quite interesting. Yeah, Um, I I kind of think, you know, it's not just like the consultative space, it's just the collaborative space. I think mm -hmm. when you're building a CPG brand, that's sort of like, you're really kind of going at it alone to to Mm -hmm. make your space. And the way that we're monetizing our technology and our data has to require collaboration from multiple stakeholders. And so from the beginning, we've been forced to be very collaborative in building our product, which is just completely different, I think, from when you're trying to grow your your CPG brand. And I think when I, I think for us and in our space in the material recovery industry, where it requires there's so many stakeholders involved, it's it's just it's put us in a good place in terms of how we think about monetizing what we're trying to do because we just have a lot of options which can be good and Mm -hmm. bad if you're not focused it can be (laughs) bad it could definitely be bad um but then there's also lots of opportunities you know if you go to one space and fail you can just kind of pivot and 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 kind of move to the next yeah yeah let me ask you so you've been through a couple different accelerator programs right Mm -hmm. so can you sort of do a little compare contrast i mean I, i especially East Coast, West Coast, you know, the Silicon Valley uh, model that you talked about, I think is, uh, you know, I uh, I think, and especially coming from a technology point of view, I think that's, you know, that'd be a definite um, comp- uh, comparison. But then you've, you've also gone through our accelerated program here, which is, uh, I would say, we came at it, we come at it a little more, you know, food and beverage and everything about how do we solve problems for the, the industry. Um, it, why don't you, can you, sh- is there anything you can share on that? Yeah, I mean, I think the one thing, I think as a startup, uh, accelerators are just so incredibly beneficial. And I think if for anything, it's about the networking. 
if you're not networking every single day, like within your industry and industries tangential to you and just learning from other founders and other business mentors, you know, it's going to be a hard, a hard road for you. And so I would think, say that of all the accelerators we participated in, that networking has just been beyond, you know, beneficial, probably the best part. Um, you know, every startup is just an experiment in learning. You're learning constantly. And I think accelerators, you know, especially like, you know, the FabCap is it, it forces you to learn in a sort of a niche that you weren't before. So, you know, I had absolutely no experience in the, the food and beverage industry and getting to just listen to how food and beverage companies and brands are trying to like grow and get out into the market. And, you know, it's just so different from our business, but I, you know, I continually took little, little pieces from that learning. I think, you know, every accelerator has, you know, usually, you know, webinars or workshops on specific topics. Um, you know, I think in particular, you know, fundraising for any seed stage or even earlier startup is just so necessary. And so I think the more you can listen to various opinions around how to raise money and how to do it the right way and, you know, what sort of legal and accounting support you need and what you need to have everything together, um, it really takes a village to raise money. Um, so I think I've absolutely appreciated sort of that education. You don't really get it anywhere other than just doing it and learning from mentors uh, through the accelerator programs we've been in. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah. I was going to say, you know, so, and real quick on that. So, um, so, you know, FFI, you know, we, that's what, you know, one of our myopic focuses is that we can help you figure out how to get money for your business. Um, and then, you know, especially on the technology side, what would you, any advice you'd give us compared to, say, the Silicon Valley type of uh, accelerator type of focus, um, you know, that that especially on a technology platform like yours, say? say. Um, I mean, it's so the the capital you need is so different for mm -hmm. you know a CPG brand versus a tech company. I mean, a lot of you know the CPG brands or that you know were in the FabCap accelerator. You know, they were raising capital because they literally needed to manufacture a product or they needed a space to manufacture their product. Um, and you know, we really need capital to, to pay people to build the technology. I mean, like that's that's really what we need. And so. Um, you know, for, for a CPG, it is a little bit, I'll say a little, because I don't think this is easy at all for anyone, but it's a little easier to go to a bank and say, you know, these are going to be our tangible assets, you know, that we can leverage against this loan, et cetera. Whereas I, you know, went to my first bank and they're like, you know, you have nothing to leverage against this loan in this business. Like, no, we're not, we're not going to loan you any money. Your, your software, your machine learning means nothing to us. Um, and so I think really the difference with, you know, the plug and play, you know, mentorship around raising funding was how you sell, you know, your business, how you pitch to investors. Mm -hmm. And I think technology is a little bit more visionary, whereas CPG is a little more um, tangible. You know, you're thinking about a very 
you're both thinking about very specific markets, but like in a CPG world, you need to know exactly how many units you need to sell in order to have money to manufacture and have a profit. And it's a lot different. A technology company, you could be building something for 10 years and not really sell it, you know, until the end when, you know, you're making millions of dollars. So I think the pit learning about how to pitch was a little different in both, um, mm-hmm. in both accelerators. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and, and I, and I, I don't think you could have any shortage of, you know, mentorship and, and pitching to investors because it's, it's hard. And, uh, mm-hmm. yeah, there's, there's a lot of learning that goes on there. Yeah. Oh, that's, that's, uh, um, as long as you've gone on that path a little bit, I just think so investors. So any advice on what to look for an investor, you know, especially on a technology side of the world? Yeah, I think I've learned sort of the hard way and I should have heeded some advice that I heard a long time ago. And that was that you need to pitch to investors who are like minded as you like we needed to be pitching to investors who are passionate about, you know, uh, carbon footprint, about environmental responsibility and sustainability and um, climate tech and it was a little more comfortable for me being in the state of Wisconsin to be talking to traditional Wisconsin investors. And this really isn't a super eco progressive, you know, investment space. And, you know, it's been fantastic, you know, talking to Wisconsin investors and getting their feedback. But, um, you know, when I've had the opportunity to pitch to sort of the more climate tech sort of investors, their questions are very, very different. There's so much less about, you know, how much revenue we've generated and where we're going to be in a year and in terms of making money versus what our environmental social impact is going to be. And so I I guess to be more succinct, you, you need to know what I learned is you need to know and go talk who you're who your audience is and go talk to the right people. Cause I think I've wasted a, a lot of time talking to the wrong people. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's, that's a good insight. As I said, I think uh, uh, I've always, that's one, that's one thing I like about uh, our investor pitch type of process is that just exactly that you have to, you have to determine how you're going to make money and, and then be able to share that with people. Um, and then once again, if you're, if, if you know, you, you tie it back to a very important thing, if, if they're not sort of looking to make money the same way that you're looking to make money, then it's not going to be a very fruitful discussion. You know, um, you know, they, they know how to make money in CPG foods, you know, you know, not necessarily in technology development and apps. Um, so it's, you know, when I say they, you know, especially CPG investor pitches um, versus I'm going to say a technology app uh, um, and or technology play. So um, very good. Uh, I'm, I'm glad I'm glad to hear it sort of firsthand from you on, on sort of what you've seen. Um so let's talk a little bit about, you know, going from here. So you're, you're scaling and growing. So I'm going to, I'm going to go a slightly different direction um, than I did in other interviews is that, so let's, let's play out a little more of uh, you know, a few, a potential future, you know? So, you know, as you start seeing the landscape uh, changing, um, you know, and evolving, uh, like you described a little bit about some of the policy and such, um, what you know? What are some of the key drivers that you think you know are gonna are gonna sort of tip tip the tip towards your favor and or against you? You know that kind of thing. I sort of like I 
I was I was talking to last uh, one of my last interviews is that you know sir what are what are the not as much lessons learned but sir what are the you know the things that could go wrong or really you know if they go right this is going to happen I mean can you share a little bit of that Yeah I can try I mean I I I really feel that the regulatory environment you know specifically in the United States but also elsewhere is going to be a huge positive driver for us. And we've sort of heard this from, you know, one of the cool things about the plug and play uh, accelerator was that we've had, we have opportunities all the time to hear from other startups in the material recovery ecosystem globally. And we've heard a lot um, from some companies down in South America that when the regulatory environment really focused on landfill diversion, you know, recycling, composting, you know, that is when people really started to take them seriously <laughs> because they were offering a solution that before just wasn't required. And once it starts costing companies money, you know, that's when, you know, your, mm-hmm. sol- your solution is a big deal. And I, I really see that as being a big driver for us. I mean, you know, my husband is a financial advisor, so I'm listening to CNBC and, you know, Kramer every single day. Mm-hmm. And I hear over and over and over ESG, ESG, ESG investing, you know, environment, social governance, you know, metrics and indicators for all these companies. And, you know, a lot of these growth companies now and in the very short term are going to be companies highly invested in in carbon footprint, in climate tech, in, you know, environmental responsibility, in, in social responsibility. And, um, you know, I think that ESG investing in the past has been a little bit of a joke. I think it's kind of funny that like 10 years ago when I was writing my graduate school thesis, mm-hmm. it was about um, how financial analysts use ESG metrics to, you know, analyze company, you know, investment worthiness, like the financial viability of that company. And I think mm-hmm. back then it was a little more of a joke. Today, I think it's taken a lot more seriously. And I think the companies long-term that are going to do the best are, are going to have a future, you know, based on really significant ESG metrics and indicators. And so I think that's really going for us in a lot of big ways. Um, Boy, I'd love to think of negative things, but nothing (laughs) is immediately coming to mind. I think, I think maybe if I were to say what, what could be a hardship is consumer behavior change is incredibly hard. And I think a lot of solutions for, you know, landfill diversion, um, any environmental sort of responsibility type practice might take more than simple, you know, a consumer is just going to change the way they act. You know, they might have, you know, plastic bag bans, you know, where you're forced Mm -hmm. to use different materials. And, um, and I think there's ways that we can be a part of that. So I think, Mm -hmm. again, that's where the regulatory environment will be really helpful. Yeah, even in a bad situation, you would actually play a role in it. Yeah, exactly. Um, you know, mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Although it, what you what you have hit on, though, in a way, is this whole regulatory world. Um, you definitely, if you don't have a, a good uh, sort of legal connection, um, when I say legal, legal and lobbyist type of connection, um, you, you definitely probably want to develop that over the next uh, year or two, because I, I, I tend to agree with you. I think, you know, pressure points when, you know, people, you, you know, the people, you focus, what you focus on is what you get. All right. And, uh, you know, and if you're not focusing on, you know, like say you, you think about our CO2 emissions over, over decades, 
you know, we never looked at it in the beginning, but as it's, as it's starting to affect things, you know, people started talking about it in the eighties. Um, and, and they started realizing and, and people have sort of pushed it off, pushed it off, but it's becoming evident. We can't just do that. Insurance rates are going up. If you're living near a coast, um, you just can't, you know, they just can't do it. So it, it, all of a sudden, whether it's regulatory or it's insurance, some financial burden, um, they're going to have to do it. Um, so uh, in your space, I do think uh, that's something definitely to keep track of. Yeah. And um, I think, you know, another part of that is just the whole idea of the reuse economy. So mm-hmm. just as a very basic idea, you know, you go to say a Starbucks and you use a reusable mug versus, you know, a paper coffee cup or something. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I think, you know, while we at the beginning started with, you know, recycling of non-organics, you know, we are absolutely thinking about, okay, well, how can we use our technology to also be sort of a um, digital infrastructure for this, Mm -hmm. for the reuse economy, because it's another, Mm -hmm. you know, part of just environmental social governance sort of issues in the future in industry and how things are going to change and consumer behavior change. It's all the reuse economy is going to be huge. And so we're absolutely thinking about, you know, this is where we are now with recycling and composting, but how can we also use our digital infrastructure to support the reuse economy? Yeah. Yeah, no, I agree. I think there's a lot of, there's, there's, you know, you, you're sort of into a, such a, you know, a, you know, a spider web of an area here. It's, it's sort of a, an intriguing one to, 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 to work with, you know, work with you in the last year and then um, just sort of watch how this all evolves. It'll be very interesting to see how it, how it comes about. Um, so let's, uh, let's see here. So, you know, moving forward, I guess, you know, if you're, you know, you're on a technology curve. So here's the most, most technology businesses are sort of set to grow. You know, once you get the concepts or the, the, the initial, idea um sort of vetted out you've got a platform developed you've done some beta work um you know they expect fast high growth all right so you're and you're starting to you're starting to see some of that um so what in what you know areas i guess you know how do you sort of see yourself in the next two to five years to be able to say this is this is what's going to make it or not i guess maybe give me a little bit of 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 uh, ambition and focus of, of where you're taking your business? Yeah, I think that the next two years is we have to be so laser focused on how we're using our data. And that means a lot of different things because um, we sort of are, are creating proprietary databases that don't exist right now. We also you know, generate uh, consumer purchasing data, you know, based on our users who use the app. Um, you know, we have data from from waste audits and, and from, you know, composting companies using our app to, to determine like contamination uh, rate, you know, decreases. There, there's just a lot of data we have. And in, if we're going to survive, we need to figure out how to use that data uh, in a really smart way. So, um, you know, the day to day, you know, today in, you know, Q4 of 2021 is totally focused on getting more users on our app and, and getting our machine learning models even better and, um, you know, growing into new communities and new user bases, you know, our long-term strategy is so much more focused on our data and, um, 
And a big reason why, you know, we're raising, you know, money right now is because we, we know we need that kind of talent on mm-hmm. our team. Uh, monetize, monetization of our data is the number one long-term goal. And so um, it's not necessarily what we focus on today on a day-to-day basis, but it will mm-hmm. be in the future. Okay. Yeah. All right. No, that's good. It's uh, like I say, it's, it's a different model than most of the companies we work on. So I wanted to make sure people sort of thought a little bit about, you know, the arc of, of how a technology, especially, you know, in your case, an app, but, but if, there's a lot of things in, in technologies that are so different than a CPG brand, as I think you, as you bring up. Um, and, and so if, if you're going down that path, um, you definitely have to, you know, understand, you know, like say you got your beta and you got your platform working, but it's really, to your point, it's a generator of data. And all you have to do is how do you monetize the data? Exactly. Uh, exactly. Yeah. It's, it's so much yeah. different than just, yeah, putting a product on a shelf and trying to sell it. Uh, which yeah. I'm not saying is any harder or easier. It's just very, <laughs> very different because I we d- so now we actually do have a physical product um, yeah. attached to our app, which is is really cool. So we partnered up with this company called Public Thread in Grand Rapids, Michigan, and they craft amazing um, uh, products from uh-huh. upcycled materials. And so we've partnered with them. They make this like oversized, uh, reusable recycling bag. So the bag that you'd put all your recyclables in inside that you would then take outside to either your cart or your bin or your dumpster. Um, and it's made from upcycled billboard fabric. And, Mm -hmm. um, when we sell the bag, it has a tag with a QR code to the better bin app. So then not only are people buying, you know, the, the physical bag product, they're also buying into the education and the rewards program that we mm-hmm. offer. And so that has been a whole different learning experience of, yeah. okay, now that you have this product that no one even knew they needed in the first place, mm-hmm. uh, you know, how do you sell it? And so, yeah. um, so yes, very different trying to sell a product either e-commerce wise or in a store. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's a nice marriage though too. Of, of like, say, if, if you know, part, you know, for you, brand awareness is is you know, and and getting people to to want to sign up for an app. I mean, there's I was talking to a couple other technology companies over last year, and and they you know they were getting off, they were getting a little disgruntled about you know subscription, you know, you know you know, apps, um, you know, and it's like, you know, that, that's not going to work, you know, that kind of thing. People want everything for nothing, that kind of thing. And, uh, so, you know, okay, I sort of get it. I mean, there's a certain amount of that. I mean, unless you've got, unless you've got the next Amazon prime for recycling, you know, um, you know, it's like, you know, is anybody going to really pay for it per se? Right. Well, you know, but if they, you bundle it with the right upcycle and that's in this case, you know, um, it's a really, really a good way of building awareness and trial of your product, right? And then creating, sort of creating a little more of that demand because you're going where the people already want it. You're, uh, you're still on a journey here on your, on your scaling and growing your business. Um, you know, I guess the, um, is there anything else you can sort of share on sort of like now as, as you've gone through a couple of accelerators, you, you've been in market, you're sort of going down the path. This, this whole area uh, that you want to share on sort of the financial raise and sort of how, you, how you've sort of, I'm going to say, put together your ask and then what you're going to be doing with it so that people, you know, generally buy in. Is it, is it, is it based on, on more on the potential of the data source or is, it, are you, is there anything else that you're doing, I'm going to say, uniquely on your financial packaging um, to get better been financed for growth? Yeah, I think 
I think that one of the hardest jobs as a founder is the ability to generate sales and raise money at the same time. <laughs> mm-hmm. So, um, you know, all of us startup companies, we're, we're, we're very small teams, you know, we're a core team of three and, you know, the fundraising and the, the anything with the commercialization, all the non-technical commercialization roles, you know, are, are really mine. And, um, you know, investors, want to see growth and revenue uh but then they also want you to have time to you know go talk to 50 investors and honestly it's it's impossible you just you can't and so um i think that's been really hard for me to navigate you know what months do i spend focus on trying to fundraise what months do i spend trying to focus on on sales and uh, you know, I'm absolutely still navigating that. I think, though, that the the, the hardship in finalizing, you know, our seed raise um, is really determining where, like, who the value is um, mm-hmm. in what we're doing and value, financial value, value, because inevitably these are investors who are expecting a return. And so, mm-hmm. um you know, this isn't as simple as selling to one customer. You know, we haven't figured out exactly, you know, who's paying us and how much and how long it's going to take to really scale that. And do I absolutely understand that those are metrics that an investor wants to see? Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that based on some of the mentorship I've had from other founders in this space, I really need to be looking more toward at investors who I can show them the value and the the ultimate impact we're going to have on the world from from what we're doing, and um, and those investors are fewer and farther you know between. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. I'm not saying that they aren't looking for a financial return, and and I'm not saying that we're not looking for a financial mm-hmm. return, um, but. I think that quantifying the value for us has been tricky for me because there's just a lot of value in a lot of spaces. And when you only have five minutes to pitch that, you know, <laughs> you, you, you just can't do a good job. I think yeah. um, our first investor that did come in again, you know, I should have realized this from that conversation, you know, they didn't know me from, from Adam and, and immediately bought in like, and I wasn't even generating any revenue at that time. You know, Mm -hmm. they just knew what the vision was. They, Mm -hmm. they understood the problem and they invested and, Mm -hmm. you know, I, I need to focus more on getting in front of those investors. Yeah. Yeah. Um, No, that's a, that's a, no, that's actually a very good piece of advice for everybody. Um, because as I said, just talking, I mean, a lot of times people get pulled into conversations just because, you know, somebody's off, you know, sort of say, Hey, I showed some interest. And it's like, you know, that's fine. But if you, you only have so many hours in a day, um, and, and you do need to make sure you, you know, what, you know, the kind of money you're looking for and, mm-hmm. and, and like say investor and ultimately the investor should bring more than just money, honestly. Um, if they can, you know, if you can find somebody that really buys into the idea and also can introduce you to the right other people that you need to do to leverage that idea. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think is, is a key element of, of a really good investor. I know a couple of investors that I work with, they have very specific strategies and charges. And so they can help these companies in a lot of ways that, you know, not only from the money point of view, but helping them grow their business. Um, so, so good. Um, so, so, um, I'm going to try to think here. So, 
as you've gone down this path and 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 you've shared some lessons learned and aha moments and stuff tonight, is there any advice you'd like to make sure you share with uh, with our audience, especially our tech uh, company audience? That you know, if you had to do it all over again, this is uh, these are the two or three things that would um, you know I would say, hey, do this. Uh, I think if I had to do it all over again, um, I think I had no concept of how long it would take to bring this from idea to, you know, a scaled revenue generator. I I really had absolutely no concept and I'm scared that I probably still don't. (laughs) Um, I, I talk, I've been able to talk to a lot of founders who are in this five, six, seven years, you know, before they're really starting to feel a little more comfortable. And um, I think that as an entrepreneur at the beginning, you know, you're just so excited and everything is new and shiny and you're learning and, you know, positive things are happening and you just, you don't know how long it's going to take and you don't know how to be prepared for the ups and downs. I know I constantly listen to the, how I built this, you know, Guy Raz NPR podcast. And I distinctly remember, um, uh, there's a founder of task rabbit and how she said for her advice was, you know, forget about the ups and downs. Like if you follow the ups and downs, you will never survive because the highs are so high. The lows are so low. Like you just need to go through every day right in the middle or, or you just can't sort of emotionally, mentally handle it. Cause it's just, it's just a lot. And, um, I wish I knew that going in. I think it's hard <laughs> to realize, you know, the hardships that you go through as a founder. Um, and it's hard to not get too excited about the great things that happen. So I think, yeah, just kind of realizing this is going to take a long time. Um, you need to have an even keel sort of attitude and um, be willing to listen and learn. Be so willing to listen and learn. Uh, every day I try to listen. I, today I learned some, something so important from one of my customers that I never realized Um yeah, listening, learning, mentors, any way you can grab onto information and get help is is so worthwhile. And um, maybe just the last thing is, is just the networking. Like I think for COVID, you know, really kind of hurt that in terms of, in terms mm-hmm. of uh, startup, you know, founder networking. And I just recently did my first in-person event and it was just so energizing to be around uh, (laughs) people like me, people working so hard and just so passionate about what they believe in, what they're trying to build and do. Um, That networking is just so incredibly helpful. You never know who you're going to, you're going to run into. Yeah, no, that's good advice because I accept. Uh, and it, it's not just on entrepreneurs. It's just sort of like every problem you have. I always say that for every problem, there's a solution, right? <laughs> now, that doesn't mean it's just sitting right in front of you. It's that you got to find it, you know? Right. Um, and, and it might be a person. It might be sitting on a shelf someplace, you know, that, you know, you're, you know the, whatever you needed was there, but it, you couldn't find it. Um, but it's, you know, that due diligence to go after it. Um, and, and, and really have the confidence to know that it's out there. Mm-hmm. All right. <laughs> um, you just got to find it, you know, it's up, it's really more in your court to be able to do that. Um, so, you know, and, and, and then, and then that last piece is like, you know, this is where having grown up in big food and, you know, Oscar Meyer, Sargento type of the world, you know, you, you have a network around you. You guys don't have that, um, you know, as much, you know, you have, you know, a lot of the, the broader people you collect in it and, and, and you know, over the years, 
but just sort of rest in the strength that that's something you're really good at. <laughs> um, you know, if you're, if you get, if you get past the first couple of years and you've got, an, you, you sort of see that network growing and, and it's a good group of people. Um, that's not something that everybody can do, honestly. I mean, I think that's what sets good entrepreneurs apart. Yeah. And I tell you, you know, something we didn't talk about with the being involved in accelerators is <laughs> yes, are they absolutely integral and amazing, but mm-hmm. it is really hard to set aside an hour or two hours of your day to just be focused on like one tiny part of your business along with 10 other founders. Like mm-hmm. you have to be so patient. You have to be very, mm-hmm. very patient and realize that even though, yes, you needed that hour to be doing something else, but in the long term, just be patient, learn, it will be worth it uh, in mm-hmm. the long term. It's, it's, you have to be willing to sort of pause your every day and realize you need this hour or two for learning. But that's not to say that you're not trying to multitask and do a million other things. <laughs> um, yeah, you have to take a pause and look at your business as a whole. Absolutely. It's a, it's a great, it's one of the best things about accelerators is they force you to look at the big picture instead of the day to day, which you can yeah. really get caught up in. Oh, yeah. Yeah, no, I, I hear you. I mean, that's where it's it, like, I was, it's like, everything is really quite simple. It's just not easy. You got to do it all, you know, yeah. and you don't have a, you don't have a whole team to do it all. No. Right. You know, you, <laughs> no, so you it's prioritized. Well, then you have to realize too, and that's where I've, I've, I've had a couple of entrepreneurs that are, are really exceptional people and they've really done some good things. And, and, and one time, you know, I'm, I'm talking to one and he's like, yes, yeah, so like, well, let's meet. And I said, okay. And he was, he was just fried. He had to, he literally was going to take the weekend and walk into the woods someplace and, you know, to let his head unwind. And I said, I said, here, I want you to remember something. I said, you know, C's get degrees, actually D's get degrees. If, you're, <laughs> if, you're, you, know, if, if you, if you have a good enough grade point, D's will get you degrees um everything can't be a work you know and so what ends up happening is you have to juggle sometimes you juggle all the, the a balls make sure that they're they're there and you're doing 100 percent for those but some things you know not everybody realizes if you're you know doing c work on something honestly you do you know because you know it but but the reality is, is you can you know you also know you may have just covered the basics you know you can come back and fix it later yep. you know so it's the type of thing where um, just understanding that workload balance is, is really hard um, to, to really, you know, it takes time for people to get that. And all, all too often, you, know, you guys are younger people. You haven't had time. I've been, as I've said to people, I've been doing this for 35 plus years. I'm trying to help you do it in three, three to five years. Um, you know, so, you know, that's just, you know, by sharing and networking and a whole bunch of other stuff that you can do that are, that hopefully you can avoid some of the things that, uh, not so much even I did, but you know, the companies I worked with did. Um, so anything. All right. So is there any other things that we should talk about or we miss, especially when it comes to sort of trying to scale and grow a, a technology company, a platform like yours? I don't think so. I mean, I, I do think it's easy to to just make everything sound like a complete positive, you know, like, <laughs> the, the, you know, they're just there. There has to just be the reality that you know, other funders out there or, or want to be entrepreneurs out there know that this is really hard and you have to be passionate about it. Otherwise, I just, you, you should not get into this. <laughs> you really have to be passionate about what your goals are and what you're trying to do um, because this, it's, it's, a, it's a grind and um, it, it's not easy. So, but yeah. yeah. No, that's uh, that's good advice. I've often wanted to do. Uh, I've uh, you know about Myers Briggs and stuff like that. I've also I've also I've, I've wanted to uh, do a 
a Myers-Briggs analysis of the companies I've worked with in the FabCap Accelerator, <laughs> try to see if there's a social profile or something like that. That's, you know, that, you know, and then cross tab it to results and such and see, see how, how, you know, what traits drive the best results. There um, has to be some consistency <laughs> there because I, I mean, I would, we're crazy. Founders are absolutely crazy people. Um, you would not put yourself through this kind of pain uh, unless you were just, you just loved the risk. You loved the drive. You're passionate. Yeah. There's, there's yeah. gotta be something there. Yeah. There gotta be, because I tell you every so often I'm, I'm, I've done a, what we call scalar workshop, which is like everything you need to do to build your business in one day. And, and then, you know, and I look and as I'm talking to the people, you know, you tell some of them get a little nervous because you know, I have to do all that. And I go like, yeah. And then, then I have to, when I walk away from the meeting, I'm thinking, why are they doing this? You know? <laughs> I, you know, here I like, I've done it, but like say from a different vantage point altogether. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'm like, you know, I, I don't know that I would ever, you know, I've never gone out and done it myself. So I, I applaud to you guys. That, yeah. That you got to it. get paid for your work while you. Yeah. Did. Yeah. Yeah. Now that said, as I said, you know, welcome to corporate America and the gravity you have to navigate, but yeah. that's a separate issue, you know? So, you know, it's a separate set of skills that, that people have to have if you're going to do that route. So, but I, I, I agree. I think the entrepreneur world is, uh, is uh, it's really you know what's really fun is like uh, we did an event i'll just share this you know at fab wisconsin over the last few years we we would do a farm factory fork event and we had a panel of louis gentine from sargento giacomo feluca from palermo's um then we had katie wessel from milwaukee pretzel and 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 truman mcgee from uh, you know, funky fresh spring rolls in milwaukee and and, and then we had somebody from Carry Ingredients, an executive vice president. And so these 25 kids got up at the high schools and at, were going to ask this panel questions about, you know, anything about the food and beverage business. And all 25 questions that they had were about entrepreneurship on how to build their business. You know, how, do, how should I do that? And I thought that was really intriguing because when I was that age, you know, in my high school years, it was more like, I'm going to go work for Oscar Mayer, you know, that kind of thing. I'm going to be the CEO of Oscar Mayer, you know, 30 years from now. And, uh, you know, and it's like, it was, it's such a different world. Um, so it's, uh, you know, it's, it's not for the faint of heart, but, uh, you know, it, it, you're, it, it's, you're, it seems to be sort of the, the way the world is evolving. People are becoming a little more of how do I create my own future? So, right. uh, congratulations. Thanks. It's fun. Thanks for listening. You can get more podcasts by subscribing on iTunes or your favorite podcast app. And you can learn more about Edible Alpha and the Food Finance Institute by visiting our website at ediblealpha.org. 